We will not read the whole chapter, but we'll start in verse 21. Romans 3 and verse 21, the Bible says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Tonight, I want us to look at uh, Romans 3 as we continue through our study. And the title of the message is, The Judge Has Acquitted You. Father, I pray that you'll be with us this hour. Bless all that's said and all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's aim in chapters 1 and 2 was really to prove, as we've looked at the last two weeks, that every member of the human race is guilty before God. Now we come to chapter 3, and uh, if you stopped at chapter 2, you would feel this really uh, morbid, uh, distraught kind of feeling uh, because humanity is without hope. Uh, Guilty is the verdict, you might say. And so now we come to chapter 3, and Paul is now uh, talking a little bit about our guilt again, but he really gets into how you and I have been acquitted. Uh, our stay of execu- or our execution excuse me, has been stayed. It has been put off. It has been postponed. It has been done away with because of Jesus Christ. I think personally, uh, Romans chapter 3, the key verse of Romans chapter 3 is verse 24. Uh, that's what I believe. Uh, there's certainly many good verses. Verse 25 is also a good one. But I think verse 24 explains what Paul is really after here in Romans chapter 3. Uh, As a review, we've looked at the ungodliness, as we saw last week. That was a direct disregard for God. We looked at unrighteousness last week, and that is a reference to the wickedness or the conduct that we live out because of our ungodliness. Uh, And we saw that God condemned the heathen world, the moral world, that ethical world, and the religious world. No one stood free of the guilt that was put. And so we saw also, by the way, last week, uh, what God's criteria for judging mankind was. If you'll remember on our notes last week at the very bottom, or we had there uh, how God judges mankind, and we put some things, and He judges according to truth. He judges according to our deeds, according to the moral law that is written in our hearts, as we saw there in Romans chapter 2. He judges us according to the law of Moses, His standard that He gave to mankind to live by. And then in verse 16 of chapter 2, he judges us by the gospel uh, that is there. So as we saw that, we understood God has the right to judge us. God has every right to lay to us the charge of guilty for sin. And now we come to chapter 3. Why would God equip us? Why would God say, okay, you are free of your charge? Well, there's some reasons. Paul concludes his discussion on unrighteousness by showing us, number one in our outline, that righteousness is universally absent from us. Righteousness is universally absent from us. He deals with this in verses 1 through 20. In essence, Paul here, the great lawyer, is saying, in the case of God versus the sinner, God is both the judge and the jury, and the verdict is beyond doubt. We are guilty of sin. And, and I, I heard this the other day, and, and, and I was thinking about it as an illustration. Immediately following the release of The Passion of the Christ. How many remember that movie when it came out? All right, Wherever you come down on it and, and, and how you feel about it is irrelevant in, in this discussion here. I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but I'm saying in this discussion it is. 
uh, uh, the, the Passion of the Christ, when it was released, there was a letter that was written to the editor of the news journal from a woman in Port Orange, Florida. Her name was Madeline Evans. After viewing the movie, Miss Evans wrote, Personally, I have no problem believing that Jesus, in fact, died. But I want no responsibility for it, was her claim. I will pay for my own sins. Thank you very much, she wrote in the letter. I would never want to, uh, anyone to go through so much suffering for me, she concluded. And you wonder about someone writing that kind of a letter. And that's what the world thinks. Hey, listen, I don't have any problem thinking Jesus died, but boy, he didn't die for me. I'll die for my own sins. My response to Miss Evans would have been this. You will die for your sins. You will go to hell for your sins. There is a price that must be paid for sins. Either you accept the redemption, as it says in verse 24, that is through Jesus Christ, or you pay for them yourself, Miss Evans. And while she was probably very sincere, she was sincerely wrong. Righteousness is universally absent from each and every one of us. Paul goes through three groups, or not three groups, excuse me, Three uh, progressions here of why righteousness is absent. Letter A, the Jewish weight. Righteousness was absent from the Jews because they bore a special weight. Look in verses 1 through 8. We'll read them again. Or we'll not read them again, we'll read them for the first time. The Bible says in verse 1, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there in circumcision? So he says, alright, the argument in chapters 1 and 2... Remember at the end of chapter 2, he just finished talking about the religious Jews who were claiming their circumcision was important. Paul here really kind of preempts them. He understands their retort to his argument. Their response is going to be this. Hey, what is the big deal with you, Paul? Why don't you like us? Hey, I'm not so bad. It's pretty good being a Jew. So what's the advantage then? And he says, hey, listen, is there a profit in being a Jew? Is there a profit in having the law? Was there a profit or was there benefit to you? He says in verse 2, much in every way. Paul's answer is, was there a benefit in being a Jew in receiving Christ? The answer is yes. Why? You know the law. Look what he says in verse 2. Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The oracles of God might be called the law of God. For what, he says in verse 3, if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? He said, look, through the, through the thousands of years that the law was the guide light and the guiding influence on the Jewish people, were there some of those Jews who did not believe? Answer, yeah. He said, did their unbelief nullify the use of the law because every Jew doesn't believe it, therefore it's not in effect? No, the answer was. He said, it is an advantage in every way for you as a Jew. You carry an extra weight, though. In verse 4, he says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. He said, look, you're going to have a hurdle to overcome. That's why uh, the Jews, it was said uh, that Jesus Christ to the Jew was called a stumbling block. It was hard for the Jewish culture, those Pharisees, to understand this, in fact, was the Messiah they were hoping for. Why? Well, they were looking for someone who was going to physically overthrow the kingdom and the Roman rule. And when he didn't do that, though he overthrew something much more important, the rule of sin in the life of mankind, when he did not do that openly, the Jews said, this can't be the Messiah. This isn't who's coming for us. And so there is certainly an extra weight that is to them. Paul said, listen, you had the law. That is an advantage for you. But the problem is you need to overcome that obstacle. You have an extra weight that is about you. 
He says in verse 5, If our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Paul here is saying, listen, am I going to live as a sinner so that God can save me? God can keep me from more things? No. He said, if I can lie and God can make good of it, that still doesn't make it right to lie is what Paul is here talking to them about. He said, And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Whose damnation is just? He said, who would say something like that? Who would speak and say, hey, let's just slander everybody because when we do, sometimes we'll be right. No, Paul said, that's ridiculous. You Jews have an extra weight that you carry because you are held to the law of Moses. All right? There was this weight that would be there. That would be upon them. God entrusted them with the law. In fact, a Jewish birth gave the Jews a unique exposure to God's word. Uh, Paul says here the oracles of God were given to them. They were promised, promised excuse me, permanent redemption through the Jewish Messiah. Uh, they were prepared uh, in receiving the gospel in the sense that they understood what it meant to walk by faith and to believe what God, Jehovah God said. And so we see that there is this weight, there is this, this extra burden that is upon them. But letter B, it's not just the Jewish weight, there is the world's worthlessness here. Verses 9 through 18 deal with the worthlessness of the world. Yes, the Jews have this extra obligation, if you will, this extra hurdle to overcome, uh, this extra uh, a thing that might be there that would, would cause them to uh, halt or, or stop their progress towards believing in Jesus Christ. But the world is not any better because in verse 9 he says, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have proved both, before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. He's actually referring back to earlier in this letter in chapter 2. He's saying, listen, we went through and proved that the heathens, the ethical living people, and the religious people are all guilty before God. He said that makes no difference. The world has no worth in the eyes of God in themselves. As it is written, verse 10, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of their way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. In fact, in Paul's mind, Jews have more advantage than the Gentiles, but we are really no, but are no better. Actually, we are worse off as Gentiles. The argument some would make is that because we are not Jewish, we have a better chance of understanding God. But Paul answers that. He said, listen, no one understands God outside of his revelation. No one understands him in and of themselves. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one has complete knowledge and understanding of his own sins. Is what Paul says. In fact, look in verse 13. He says, their throat is an open sepulcher. I doubt, by the way, any of the people that Paul was writing to here would say, you know what, Paul? My throat is an open sepulcher. Now, understand the Bible times. What was the sepulcher? The sepulcher was the grave. And so literally, they would take a stone and put it in front of the grave so that the dead, dying, decomposing body would not stink. I think in a very tragic way what is going on in Haiti right now. There are bodies that are literally lining the streets, and what a terrible tragedy that is. But you also saw, I don't know if you watched the 2020 special tonight, they're all taking and putting toothpaste, where? Right here under their nose. And, and I thought at first, what on earth are they doing? And the reporter said they're putting toothpaste under their nose because it stinks. 
And, and, and it's just, it's a terrible thought. And that's literally what Paul says. He said, listen, their throat is an open sepulcher. It smells like dead people. There's nothing good coming out of their mouth. Paul says, listen, the world is pretty bad. The world is pretty backwards. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp, the deadly snake that would be there, is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He said, listen, in God's eyes the world is not worth a nickel. It's not worth anything. There is no righteousness here. It is universally absent. And you say, you're rehashing last Sunday. I'm not. I'm, re I'm reading to you what Paul says. It's important for us to understand there is no righteousness in us. Uh, when a family member comes to you and says, well, I think I'm going to get to heaven. I'm okay. You should look at them and say, you are an open sepulcher. I mean, be careful on how you do it, all kidding aside. But in essence, there's no good in them. Why should we have a love and a care and a concern for our lost neighbors and our lost uh, co-workers, our lost family members? Because they are the depiction of these people. And there we would be but by the grace of God. We would be the same way, but because of salvation, we now have the righteousness of Jesus Christ in us. Paul said there is a worthlessness in the world. They're not worth anything to God. Let us see the law's witness. Here in chapter 3 he says, okay, the Jews, they're carrying extra weight. They were entrusted with the law, the oracles of God. The world, boy, they have no understanding. They might think they're better than the, than the Jews, but they're no, they're no better. And they have no understanding. And then the law gives its witness in verses 19 and 20. The Bible says in verse 19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law gives testimony against us. I heard the story the other day about Farmer Joe. He was driving home in his car, or his truck, excuse me, he had his donkey on the back. This is the one I was telling you about this morning. And Farmer Joe's driving down the road in his donkey, and he gets hit. Coming through a four-way stop, and he just gets hit by this guy in a delivery truck. Well, they eventually, after a while, Farmer Joe goes to the doctor and says, you know what, i got a little bit of an ache and a pain, and, and you know, I, I really can't do what I used to do. I think we're going to have to sue that company to get some money. They went to court, and that, that company's lawyer was standing there, and he said, Farmer Joe, on the accident scene, did you not say to the officer, I'm fine? And Farmer Joe said, well, you see what was happening was that uh, I loaded up my best donkey into the trailer and I started out that day. Farmer Joe, I didn't ask for the story. Did you not say the day of the accident that you were fine to the police officer? Well, like I said, I had gotten in the truck and I was driving down the road and I came to the intersection. And right as I got to the intersection, the lawyer says, stop right there. I don't want to hear any more about this story. Judge, order this man to tell me whether he said at the scene, I'm fine to the police officer. Well, the judge is, you know, interested now in, in Farmer Joe's story. And he said, all right, Farmer Joe, I, I will allow it. You go ahead and tell me your story. And Farmer Joe said, well, actually, what happened, Your Honor, is I went through the intersection, and the delivery truck hit me from the side, threw me on the one side and threw old Bessie to the other side of the road, and we were on two different sides of the road in the ditches. He said, as I lay there with a broken leg and a sore elbow, I was moaning, and I could hear Bessie on the other side, and she was in worse shape than I was. And then came the police officer. And the police officer came out and walked over to old Bessie and said, Huh, you're in pretty bad shape. And he pulled out his gun and shot Bessie right between the eyes. And then he started walking over to my side of the road and he 
looked at me and said, Sir, how are you feeling? And I said, I am fine. <laughs> and the judge says, oh, I get it. You see, that lawyer was forcing Farmer Joe into saying, hey, listen, you've got to say this. Well, that lawyer had it wrong. But you know what is not wrong? The law. When the law of God speaks against our life, when it speaks against our sin, it's always accurate. There's no mistestimony. There's no misunderstanding of the facts that would be there. It is always completely accurate. When it calls me a sinner, when it calls you a sinner, it's right. It's accurate. And so the law here, Paul says, is witness against us. It stands opposed to us. The law stops all arguments. In fact, look at verse 19 again with me, if you will. He says, Now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are what? Under the law. That every mouth may be stopped. There is not one thing that any person ever could go to God and say, Hey, listen, I think I'm pretty good. God, you ought to let me into heaven. I think in this writing, I don't know if Paul ever met the man. I don't know what happened to the man after he met Jesus. But I'm reminded of the man in the, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, who came to our Lord and said to him, Listen, since a child I've kept all the commandments. You know, that might be a good Baptist person today. You know what? Since I was a kid, I've been pretty good. Uh, since I was a kid, I've not done anything wrong. You know, if I told a lie, I asked for forgiveness, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. This man came to the Lord and said, Since a child, I kept all the law. And Jesus said, you know, I can kind of think our Lord was standing there uh, in his infinite wisdom and saying, no, you haven't. He didn't say that. His response was always in kind. And that was the wonderful thing about Jesus and how he dealt with each individual person with whom they were. Nicodemus, he was a wise uh, master. Uh, with the woman who had the infirmity, he was a healer. And he always dealt with people with who they were. So this rich young ruler came and said, I've kept all the law. And, he, and, and the Lord looked at him and what did he say? He said, fine, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. <clears throat> God, I've kept the law. Did you not hear me? Master, I, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. What else could I do? Jesus was very subtly showing him, no, no, no. You're covetous. You covet things. That is breaking the law. Therefore, you have not fulfilled the law. And what does the Bible say happened to that rich young ruler? It says he went away sorrowful. He went away dejected and, and disparaging. He, 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 in despair, excuse me. He was hoping to come to God and say, look at me and how good I am. But Jesus in turn used the law against him. Every mouth is stopped when it comes to the law. That's what Paul says here in his argument. He said, listen, you can argue till you're blue in the face, but the law is the standard of righteousness. It is God's expectation upon mankind. It tells us of our shortcomings. There is no amount of work or deeds as it says here in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. Even if you could, even if you from the very earliest age, all the way till the day you died, if you could keep everything of the law, those deeds wouldn't justify you is what God said. He said, just in case you think you can, you can't. Because the deeds of the law will not justify you. It's not by works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. So there's the law's witness. Uh, righteousness was universally absent from us, but number two, righteousness is uniquely available by faith. It is uniquely available by faith. And that starts in verse 21. He said, all right, 
You got nothing. There's no hope for you. Thanks, Paul. He said, whoa, 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 stop. Let's start with verse 21. And now he's introducing a wonderful doctrine. It's the doctrine of justification. Uh, I've told you before as we've looked at different uh, Bible passages and Bible doctrines, I like to explain them in a very real sense. Justification is really, you could say it this way, just as if I never sinned. That's justification. Uh, God now looks at your life, He now looks at my life, and He says, you are justified. You are just as if you never sinned. Well, it's not that we've not sinned, and it's not that as human beings we won't sin again. But in God's eyes, when we are under the blood of Jesus Christ, we are just as if we've never sinned. And so that's an easy way to understand justification. And we'll talk about that at the end tonight. I've got some key terms that I'd like us to know as we leave uh, or at the end of the message. But righteousness is uniquely available by faith. He says in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law, and the prophets. So he's saying the righteousness of God was manifested. Then who is the righteousness of God? Who would it be? Well, it would have to be Jesus Christ. He was the only thing that was manifested to fulfill the law. The law spoke of his coming. The prophets spoke of his coming, witnessed his coming. They told of it that, was coming, that he was coming. And it is Jesus Christ that is the righteousness of of God. We are made righteous through Him. So letter A, righteousness revealed in Jesus Christ. You might ask the question here with righteousness being uniquely available by faith, is the judge in our case going to be lenient? Will the judge excuse our sins? And the answer is no. And that's what Paul is here presenting. He said, listen, because God Almighty is a just God, He cannot dismiss your charges. He cannot excuse you. He cannot commute your sentence. But you can have righteousness through Jesus Christ. And that is the doctrine of justification. It is revealed in His person. In fact, Schofield in his notes, and I don't ever uh, take man's notes in a Bible and make them into the Bible, but I think sometimes they can be helpful. Sometimes they can be very hurtful in certain cases. But Schofield here says this about uh, this passage of Scripture. He explains righteousness this way. The righteousness of God is neither an attribute of God nor the changed character of the believer. Righteousness is Jesus Christ himself. Think about that. The righteousness that you and I have, we are clothed in righteousness, the Bible says. We are righteous because we have taken on Jesus Christ. That's the idea of imputed righteousness. If God were to impart righteousness to us, then he would give us a little bit of righteousness. But to impute righteousness, he places it on us. It covers us completely. The picture might be this in God the Father's eyes. As he looks at you and he looks at me as a sinner, he no longer sees Kyle Fannin. He no longer sees you as an individual. But rather, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, covering us in his righteousness. That's why at the rapture, when he comes in the clouds, we will go to be with him and our raiment will be white as snow because we will be clothed in his full Righteousness. Righteousness is revealed by Jesus Christ. But when you consider what Christ or what Paul is saying here in verses 21 and 22, you're talking about perfect conformity to God's holy standard. Okay, so righteousness is this. It is perfect conformity to God's holy standard. Now, when we think about this and we consider this in a very real sense, it is 
really a legal standard that is being put out there. God says you must be holy. You must be righteous to enter into heaven's glory. To come to be with me, God the Father, you must be declared righteous. It only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not preaching particularly on salvation, but I'm teaching us, I hope, a principle about our salvation. We are justified through Jesus Christ. The object of faith, true saving faith, is Christ. In Paul's argument, it does not matter who is the believing person is. It doesn't matter if it was a Jew. It doesn't matter if it was a Gentile. They are both righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter who you are. Faith believes and receives what God has revealed in Jesus Christ. The world had never seen holiness. Never seen perfection walking the earth. The world had never seen God's standard lived out in a human life until Christ came. God the Son, the perfect man and perfectly God. As he walked this earth, he was the embodiment of human righteousness because he was God. And so as we understand that and we put our faith in him, then you and I receive that righteousness as well. In fact, if you look in verse 25, the Bible says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The word remission here means the passing by of sin. All right? He says, I'm going to pass it by. I'm going to commute that, the remission of sin, the removal of the sin is because you have believed in Jesus Christ. In complete harmony with the law, God can now pronounce the sinner not guilty. So Paul's first three chapters leading up to this, and the first part of chapter 3, coming to this point, he says to them, you're guilty. And now he presents in verses 21 through 25 how we can have our sentence removed, how we can have it changed, how we can legally get out of this mess, if you will. It's all through Jesus Christ. God has legitimate grounds for doing so. Look in verse 26. He says, To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, Christ's righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. He said, look, He's completely justified in allowing this payment. He is completely allowed to do it by His own standard. This morning in our Sunday school class, we talked about a sense of justice. We as human beings like to say, well, that's not fair. Well, we might say that about Job's life. We might say that about Joseph's life. We might say that about a lot of different Bible characters. But it is not our place to say what is fair and is not fair. Because justice resides only and solely with God Almighty. And so here, justice is satisfied. His just nature is satisfied with the payment that Jesus Christ made on Calvary. There is no legal barrier now that stands between God and and any sinner. The whole world now, the heathen world, the moral world, the religious world, as we talked about last week, they all can have their sins forgiven because of Jesus Christ. And God the Father, in His justice, in His holiness, can look down and see us without sin because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful teaching that is here in Romans chapter 3. Letter B, righteousness received by faith. Paul then finishes this chapter by saying, listen, that righteousness, something I think most of us in here understand, is received solely by faith. God's method of justifying sinners and declaring them righteous uh, rules out any possibility of a sinner uh, that, that he or she would have achieved that right standing before God on his own efforts. Look in verse 27. 
He says, where is boasting then in verse 27? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of what? Faith. He said, you want to try to work your way to heaven? Good luck. (laughs) You're going to try to keep the law? Get started. You can't do it. He said, it's by the law of faith. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Verse 30, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. He said, look, the Jews, remember we said they had a weight that they were bearing. That weight was that they were given the law. They had faith. He said they are justified by faith in that, in the God of that, in in Jesus Christ who came to fulfill that law, who is prophesied by the law and the witnesses. He said they are justified by their faith in what they already know. Then he says the Gentile world, the ones that didn't receive the law, the ones that were worthless in God's eyes because of their sin, they are justified through faith. Isn't that wonderful when you then go to the book of James? He says phrases like work out your own salvation. When he says that uh, show me your faith by your works and, all, and, and, and he says you need to be working and, and, the, and that faith is there. And, and so many people say, well, see, it's works. No, what James is saying is that you and I show our justification through our faith. You and I aren't Jewish people, and if we were, uh, we are certainly far removed from it. But as we consider this, and as you and I in the Gentile world read this, we can understand that, listen, we are justified the same way they are by faith. We are then going to live through it and serve God by it. Verse 31, (laughs) do we then make void the law through faith? So he leaves this one last kind of a question here. All right, so is the law done? Is it all finished? Can we put it to rest? God forbid. Yea, he says, we establish the law. So, it's the law of faith, it's not the law of works. It's not the law of Moses anymore. It's the law of faith. Does that mean that old law that was written so many years ago is now null and void? Paul says, absolutely not. Because of our faith, we actually established that that standard that was written so many years before, so many centuries before, we established that that was the right standard. He said, we're settling it. My faith in Jesus Christ, which uh, establishes the law because it testified of him coming. My faith in Jesus Christ reminds me that I ought to be doing the deeds of the law. I ought to be honest with one another. I ought to to avoid covetous lifestyles. I ought to avoid any kind of thing that would violate what is in the law. He said, it doesn't void it. He said, it establishes it. Sometimes people get saved and they take that as a license to do whatever they want. I like to use that old Christian phrase, liberty. All right? That's not what liberty is all about. When we get saved, we need to now have it, we now have a liberty, you might say, to live as holy and as righteous as we want. Because of our salvation, we don't have a license to live as wicked and as amoral as we want so that God can save us from a lot of sin. In fact, Paul in a couple chapters will deal with that with these Roman believers. He says, because of your faith, Jew and Gentile, you establish, you confirm the necessity of the law. Let me finish tonight with going through some terminology that I I think is in here in chapter 3 that I think is important for us. Righteousness. If you want to write these down, I I think I've got most of the words. and Your words may be a little different than mine, but write something close. I think you'll be okay. Uh, Righteousness is perfect conformity to God's holy standards. 
perfect conformity to God's holy standards. So without Jesus Christ, could we be righteous? No. We could never conform completely to God's holy standard. Uh, Grace is the second word there that I want you to understand from this chapter. This is the first time, by the way, in this great book of doctrine that Paul is introducing these concepts. He says, uh, I I, I think of grace this way. It means simply, uh, this isn't in your outlines, it it simply means God's unmerited favor. Uh, That's the way I've always understood grace. I didn't do anything to catch his eye, you might say. But yet he looks down upon me and I have received his grace when I accept Jesus Christ. Uh, It is the means by which we claim uh, righteousness. All right, The means by which we claim righteousness. And you say, ha ha, are you saying I can earn salvation? No. But it's only by God's grace that I can lay any claim to salvation, to righteousness. Uh, How else would I claim it? Well... I can't. I can't do anything to earn it. I can't work for it. So the only way that I can say I know I'm saved and I have it in my heart is because God's grace. So it's the only way that we can claim uh, righteousness or salvation, you might say. A justification is a declaration that we are righteous. A declaration that we are righteous. You might think of the old uh, uh, feudal times where they had kings and uh, somebody would come out and say, I declare that the king is here. You know, and then, oh, ooh, the king's here. Okay. Uh, it's that kind of that declaration. And, and here, justification in the life of a sinner means we have been saved. And now, if you will, our advocate, Jesus Christ, says, I declare that they are, in fact, in me and that they are, in fact, righteous because of me. That's why we have an advocate with the Father. So the justification that is there. Uh, redemption is release from the sentence of death by means of payment. A release from sentence of death through payment. All right? Uh, redemption, it's something, you might also think of it this way, it's bought back. We are bought with a price. All right? Um, and that is redemption. Uh, big word, propitiation. Can't even say it. I always, I've always had trouble. Propitiation uh, is how you say that word. Uh, and it's really just an appeasement uh, or to make favorably inclined. All right? Some have said it's a substitute. It's a little bit more than just a substitute, though, though that is the idea. It, it is an appeasement. Propitiation is, is an appeasement of God. It's to make favorably inclined. So in other words, when we read that in verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith. He has taken Jesus Christ and made him, or Jesus Christ makes us favorably inclined to God now. He is the propitiation. It is through his shed blood that we have appeasement with God. He can now, I hate to say it in this sense, but in a, in a certain sense, he can now stand to us. Before, we were as filthy rags, our righteousness, as Isaiah said. But now, because of Christ's appeasement, his work on Calvary, his shed blood as covering for our sins, we now can stand in the eyes of God the Father as righteous. So that's what a propitiation is. So tonight, as we finish, aren't you glad that righteousness was made available? That's what chapter 3 is all about in Romans. It's to prove to us, and really, you can almost see the excitement jumping off the pages, starting in verse 21 from the Apostle Paul. You can see it in this sense. Paul, that great mind that he was, and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, working in his heart, he squeezes so much good doctrine between verses 21 and 25, it's just bouncing off the pages. Uh, the excitement about justification, the excitement about grace, the excitement about God, uh, uh, Jesus Christ being that uh, substitutionary payment, that appeasement, that propitiation for us, it's just bouncing off the pages. Paul said, listen, we're all guilty, but thank God Jesus Christ makes us right. That's exciting. 
Don't ever worry about your faith because when Jesus Christ works in our lives, He settles the work. He, he establishes us in that. Tonight, uh, or, or, or excuse me, I would say next week, I meant to say this, we're going to look at what this acquittal gets us. Uh, I don't know uh, if, if we understand. I, I had to look up what acquitted means. Uh, I have some friends that are lawyers and stuff. Uh, acquitted means they, you got off the hook. So next week, getting off the hook, what did that do for us? And what are the, some of the expectations, expectations? What are some things we should do? Well, J uh, Romans chapter 4 talks about some of these things. Talks about what we ought to do. Some things that it guarantees for us. Things that are in our life because of it. So we'll look at that next week. Be glad that Romans chapter 3 is in the Bible. If it stopped at Romans 2, it would be a miserable life. But we have a wonderful life because of Romans chapter 3 and the justification that comes through Jesus Christ.